We're back again with a third edition of Beauty GPS in the Raw. I'm your navigator, Mary Shook. This interview didn't quite take the direction I'd first intended with our guest expert, Alison Raphael, a former high fashion makeup artist turned makeup line mogul, turned Estee Lauder global color product development consultant. Try saying that one 10 times. I brought Alison on to talk about self-care and to share that Matrix movie moment where she has to decide whether to take the red pill or the blue one. Allison chose to close a namesake makeup line that was making millions of dollars, and the reasons to end it all are not quite what you think. This insider information is way too important for people thinking about starting a beauty line not to hear. Allison and I also discuss what goes on behind the scenes at major brands like Estee Lauder, Beauty Secrets to Stay Young, and answers to your questions concerning dark under-eye circles, camouflaging rosacea, and more. Now sit back and enjoy the show. And thanks for listening. Welcome to the hot seat. Hi. Originally, I met you as a makeup artist in fashion more than 20 yeah. years ago, I think. And um, yeah. we, we, in fact, had the same agent. But then one day I turn around and I see you've created a line of foundations and concealers and they're in Sephora and other retailers, which is really hard to do, by the way. Um, how did that line come about? That, you know, I, you know, I had worked as Bobby Brown's head assistant and one of the things she never really, I felt got right were her concealers at that time. Um, and oh. I wanted to do a line of concealers because I have really dark under eye circle. So, you know, I talked to her about it and she said, yeah, I think you should do it. And I said, okay. And I met a dermatologist who was going to open a whole Medi Spa downtown. And I, I did her makeup for something and we started talking about this. And she's like, oh my God, this is so amazing. Yeah, you know, we'll fund it and you can work there and blah, blah, blah. So at the time, you know, this is 1998, 99, there was no internet. There was, there was nothing like that you yeah. know, in the dark ages. You know, I basically went and I thought this was really exciting. And I plunked myself down at the business library at 34th Street, which is the old B. Altman building. And oh. I really, I, yeah, right. I camped out in there for two weeks, getting all of the cosmetic journals out. So what is that? That's uh, global cosmetic industry and happy and I don't know whatever other ones there are there's a whole bunch of them and I started doing research into you know the manufacturers and who I could go to and component suppliers and all these different things with the thought that I was going to do a line for her and it wasn't going to be private label I was going to you know work with the chemist and formulate it mm. well you know I put all this research together in these huge binders and whatever. And I poured my whole heart and soul into it. Cause I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> and, and yeah. And, and I go to see her and she's like, well, you know, I didn't get the funding. So this isn't going to happen. Oh <laughs> I like, no. I was like, what? And I walked uh, out of there and I'm like, you know what? I'm, uh, you know, like I'm not ready to let go of this yet. And I, I told my father and he said to me, well, listen, he's like, you know, there's tons of money now in the stock market. I've, you know, made good money in the stock market. I could either reinvest it in a bunch of people who I don't know, or I can invest it in you. So I'm going to invest oh. it in you. Oh, yeah. 
So he gave me my seed money, and I started this company called Skin Allison Raphael because, you know, at the time I was so unsavvy, I didn't realize you couldn't trade work, trademark names like skin because it's too generic. Mm-hmm. So I just attached my name to it, which is a huge mistake because when you go to sell something, you don't want your name attached to it, um, as, I, as I later found out. Oh. But yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's, 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 you get into the problem that Daryl Kay had when Pegasus brought her brand and then decided well, a few years later, well, we're just going to kill this. And then all of a sudden she can't design into the name Daryl Kay anymore. <laughs> Everybody knows her as Daryl Kay. So there goes that, you know, it's the intellectual property conundrum. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I put out this line and I started with seven concealers and a completely clear setting powder that was, that wound up being my best selling skew and what I really, I became quite well known for that. And, um, you know, I was the first one to do that. Everyone else was doing, you know, translucent powders and I did a translucent, a, a transparent one. And mm. before that, nobody had done it in the consumer space. It had been done in the professional space, and that's where I had seen it. But it really wasn't being done in the consumer space. Now everybody has it. It's, you know, it's ubiquitous everywhere. But I was the first one to do those setting powders. Um, And so, yeah, I started it. And you know what? I just, I had no fear, and I had nothing to lose. And I just started calling everybody. And lo and behold, uh, you know, I got the the buyer of Sephora on the line, and, you know, she gave me two stores. And you know, we just pushed. I, I don't know how the hell else it happened, but um, it was just blood, sweat, and a lot of tears. Um, you know, and when it became more that it was worth, then, you know, it was time to wrap it up. But, you know, it was, it was fun while it lasted. Well, but the, the thing is, is that there's, people don't understand. There's, I don't, I don't know what the statistic is right now, and I should have been prepared with it, but you know, there's a lot of indie brands that come and go, and there's so much, uh, oh you know, VC money going in, and people don't realize that it's it's just money thrown on top of money to to get in and stay in this business. There's no bootstrapping this business, and I just remembered you mentioned that one day you bought a display for a store, and I think it was ninety thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but probably Sephora, Sephora end caps, you know, were, were that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, something was canceled and you're like, I'm out that 90 grand and it's not oh, it's, like, it's, it's all gone. It's yeah. I mean, the problem is now a days and you know, people say, Oh, you know, people think, Oh my God, they want their own brand. And to me, like now knowing what I know, I would have never started my own brand. I would have gone at that time into product development. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. I, you know what? Um, I have no regrets because what I did with my own brand took me where I eventually wanted to go. But um, the problem is that, you know, it, I don't know. There, there, it's As a small brand, it's almost impossible to do business in this economy. And the way it's set up with these retailers, with Sephora, I mean, one of the death knells of my business was, you know, in 2000, must have been 2000, the end of 2006, um, you know, I had just, I had just launched a tinted moisturizer. We were about to launch a tinted moisturizer. I had been on QVC six or seven times. We had one show that didn't go right. 
and they canceled a, a quarter million dollar order on us. Ooh. And it was already mm. manufactured and on a boat over from Italy. Oh my <laughs> so God. I was, I was stuck with that inventory. And then six weeks later, Sephora called up and said, okay, you're done, basically, in so many words. They didn't put it that way. They said, um, we need $25,000 a quarter um, for co-op advertising, and we need a 100,000-piece sampling program. And I was already giving them 60% of the cut. I was already paying uh, you know, well into six figures for my freelance salespeople because their own salespeople weren't selling anything. Um, you know, I was already paying for all of my own fixturing. I mean, I was making no money whatsoever. It was a complete break even at the end of the day. And we were doing millions in business. And, um, you know, it, it just, it didn't make any sense. And uh, I asked to stand.com and they said no. And uh, I didn't really understand that. And my lead investor said, that makes no sense. And, and he said, call them back and tell them, I'll put a million dollars on the table right now to keep you in there. And I said, okay. And I called them back and they said, no, it's, it's done. And I thought, something's wrong here. And it wasn't until maybe two or three years later, somebody who had been consulting there or working there told me that what happened at that time was we had made a beautiful mineral powder that had no business oxychloride because that's the stuff that A, people are allergic to, and B, give mineral powder sort of their silvery tint when you get into the darker shades. Mm-hmm. So I did it without bismuth and everybody at Sephora loved it. And it was doing fantastically well and it got all kinds of accolades. Um, and what happened at that time was that was when they wanted to bring in bare essentials and bare essentials went in. Leslie Budget looked around and said, okay, we're going to come in here, but we want to be the only mineral brand. She pointed to my brand and said, but that brand has to go. Oh. But you can't win. There's nothing I can do. I mean, bare essentials were sold for how many billions of dollars and they're yeah. going to get my little crappy brand and that was it but it they wasn't a crappy brand you were a top seller among the professionals you would be at the trade shows outselling everyone because you had a product that wasn't going to budge you had a product that had true coloring because at this time you know true to kind of the bobby philosophy where it wasn't about all these pink tones you had a variety of shades going on. You had a lot of different things going on. And as I understand it, you did take a lot of the chemicals out. I would even say that uh, I've seen it quoted that you were the first pro uh, green line, but how green yep. were you? We weren't. We weren't as green as what is considered green today. You know, um, this was 2008 when I, we called it the natural evolution of the brand. And that's when we went from skin Alice and Raphael to just being called Alice and Raphael. Mm. And, um, you know, we took out parabens, we took out talc, we took out mineral oil, we took out DHT. There was a whole bunch of things we took out. Um, I didn't go as far as like taking out all the silicones and stuff. Um, I went as far as I could at that time without sacrificing any efficacy. That was mm -hmm. the big thing. I, I looked at, you know, what really is questionable? I mean, and the whole thing about parabens, even to this day, I have never seen concrete studies done that parabens are terrible, terrible, terrible. However, my feeling was at that time, and it still is today, I don't want to be the one who didn't listen to the canary in the coal mine. If there is some suspicion 
that this is not a good idea and we should get rid of this and we can, let's do it. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's my feeling on it. Um, but I was the first one doing that, uh, you know, in the pro space. And, you know, yeah, you know, but what I learned was, Mary, it doesn't matter if you make the world's greatest product. You need the business expertise behind you. And that's what I didn't have. I knew how to develop killer products. I have a killer eye for color. Um, and, and I understand that. And I understand the psychology of, of cosmetics. And I understand what works and what doesn't and how it interacts with human skin and, and all of that. But I didn't have an MBA. My mother actually wanted me to go for my MBA, and she offered to pay for me to go to my MBA. And I graduated with a three, five average from Fordham. I could have gone to whatever school I wanted to. And I looked at her. I'll never forget this. This was when actually we were probably both at the same agency, and we weren't getting very much work, or I wasn't getting very much work. And she said, I'll pay for you to go get an MBA. And I said, Mom, what the hell would I ever need an MBA for? I'm a makeup artist. Like, ding dong. Like, have you ever had one of those VA moments where you smacked yourself in the head? Like, I wound up with an MBA at the cost, you know, several million dollars of my money and other people's money, you know, by having a business that ultimately fails. Um, and believe me, there, there, is no, there is no better teacher than failure, um, which is why I completely don't regret what I did. I mean, I now sit in meetings at Water. And I understand absolutely everything that's going on in the room because I did it all myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's bad for your creativity. And I'll talk about that later, but it's yeah. not good for your creativity. Well, and it's sure. interesting because with the fall of all the magazines, like there are so many editors that are not even around right now. And I found out just someone else was let go. And some of them have come up to me because they know I do a lot of development of products and I've been in every part of the space of this industry and they're like you know think about doing a line because there isn't this category that's served or whatever and I said walk away now I cannot tell you what you're going to walk into because there is no bootstrapping I cannot emphasize that these stories are fairy tales I said at one point before you could have done that but now what's happened is that if you do come out with a product, say it's, it's revolutionary and it does well, you've just proven market for another company to come in right behind you, do the same thing at half the price with a lot more behind them. So all yeah. you're doing is, is, is opening doors for other companies. And I'm not saying, you know, give up, but in your expertise, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, okay. I, I completely agree with you. Um, it, it, the thing is, there is too much behind the scenes um, that people don't see and don't understand. There's so much business that goes on, and especially not only in terms of business deals and relationships you know, between buyers and brands and all of that kind of stuff, but regulatory. You know, um, oh my God, I mean, I can remember just dealing with Health Canada on you know sunscreen issues i mean imagine that all over the world now i mean that's that's what goes on and it's exhausting and keep and the changes that are constantly being put into place about you know ingredients people have become so ingredient savvy now and savvy about toxins and toxins in our environment and toxins in our makeup and toxins in our food that it seems like every other day there's another 
regularly used cosmetic ingredient that suddenly gets a big red X through it, and we've got to pull it out of all of our products. And then you're back to the drawing board, and you've got to find substitutes, and you've got to reformulate, and you've got to do extra panels and see if it works. And, you know, it just, it's on and on and on. And this is why I say, like, for me personally, you know, people think, people have this myth that if I can control everything, um, then that's, that's going to give me the greatest creative power. That is so false because when you control everything, your brain gets split into 10,000 ways and you can't, you can't really focus your creative energies on what you need to do to create a creative product. Um, you're worried about too many other things. And my husband used to say this to me all the time, stop worrying about the packaging. Let me worry about it. But I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't, I was involved in it. And when I, the first, one of the first days I was at Estee Lauder, um, you know, I report to the director of, of um, Eye, Lip, and Cheek, and uh, I was asking her all these questions, and she said, Allison, she said, take a deep breath. She said, I, I, I'm going to give you a really good piece of advice somebody gave me when I first came here. She said, we can only control what we can control. And I thought about that, and I was like, okay, so let me just, let me wrap my head around that because I'm so used to having my hands in every aspect of what's going on that for me, suddenly saying, oh, wait, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a whole department of people who write copy and, oh, there, there's a whole department of people who handle all the, the, the international compliance and, oh, there's another department over here that, that negotiates all the pricing and works with the, the vendors. Whoa. Oh, and you do the testing and you do that. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, you mean I just get to sit here and think about the color and the texture? That's all I have to do? They're like, yeah, that's all you have to do. That's your job. And when you realize that everybody around you is an expert in what they do and they're there so that you can be the expert in what you do. To me, that's the, the, the ultimate in creative freedom because my mind now goes 110% on that. And it's just the most beautiful thing. <laughs> well, it, and, and you had that experience, but also I want to back up in a, in a few different ways. First of all, you are the daughter of a, a chemist, correct? Or of, uh, is, was he a, a, a pharmacist? pharmacist? A pharmacist. Pharmacist. Yeah. So your mind is already kind of trained in this world uh, and with consumer needs and all of that, I feel like. So you, yeah. you had a kind of training ground. And I was reading before that you were even doing makeup on customers at a young age. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The pharmacy. Oh, yeah. From, from the time I was, God, 13, 14. I mean, I was young and I was always, you know, at my father's pharmacy. It was really my second home. And, um, you know, my father was an entrepreneur. Obviously, it was his pharmacy at the time. It was an independent pharmacy when they actually existed. And, yeah, I mean, I always had a very tremendous awareness, and even due to this day, um, about, you know, health and how that all plays into every aspect of our lives and that how important it is to us. And also the psychology of makeup. You know, you'd see people come in and you'd see them – you know, linger at the cosmetics counter and look and how it would make them happy. 
um, you know, to try on a lipstick or do something. So that, yeah, that, that's been with me since like day one, you know, uh, pretty much. But yeah. So you, you were applying makeup at what age on customers? My God, uh, who knows, 14, 15. You know, I think I got my first professional job when I was 16. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was working at Macy's when I was 16, one of my very first jobs. It's all I've ever really done. It's interesting, <laughs> though, because a lot of the people that ended up becoming big in our industry had started at the counter. And it's, I find it fascinating I, that... It's that, the big, it's, it's, I always tell everybody it's the ultimate boot camp because <laughs> this, this industry, this industry is so much more than just artistry. There's so much psychology and customer service to it. I mean, you really have to be a person who likes to be of service to be a great makeup artist. And you also have to be a person who's able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And that still applies for what I'm doing, you know, now in product development is it's not just about me. It's about creating products that other people can use. If I can use it, well, that's great. But if nobody else can figure it out, well, what the hell is the good of that? Sure. Um, so I'm always looking at it, not only from my professional perspective, but then taking off that hat and just looking at it as somebody maybe who doesn't know anything about makeup and does this make sense to them and how could I figure this out? You know, so that's, that's a big thing. Well, that's interesting because one of our callers had a question that we'll talk about later about approaching color and so on. But in the meantime, um, what I also wanted to talk about is just going back to this journey of deciding to close down what appeared to be a really stellar line. And no one would have known that there were financial issues because, like you said, you were selling millions of dollars, but you were taking the hit from different executive decisions from different stores and so on that were just killing the bottom line. And yeah. so the other part of it was is that you have a daughter and a husband, so you're not just someone who <laughs> has, yeah. uh, you know, a, a certain amount of commitments. You had other parts of your life that you had to make decisions for. So can you tell me about that journey and where you were just, you know, with your health and so on, and then after that, the decisions that you made and why? I think it was, it, it was very, very, very difficult for me emotionally to let go of the brand. I mean, it really mm. was, I started it long before my daughter was born. <clears throat> you know, I got pregnant in 2008. I started the brand in 2000. I started working on the brand in 99. So, I mean, it was, it was so much a part of my life. It was my whole life, in fact, for a while. And I met my husband shortly after I started it, and then we started working together. It was, I was so deep down the rabbit hole, I could not imagine ARC not being part of my life. You know, it just didn't make sense. And when I set out, I set out for good. You know, I didn't set out to do this for a couple of years and sell it, whatever. I set out that this was going to be what I did. And, you know, having to come to grips with the reality that, you know, economies go down the, the, the you know, go down the, just go down, basically. And that's what happened in 2008. How else could you describe it? I mean, we went into a massive recession and decisions are made that are in somebody else's best interest and not yours. 
And there are things, no matter how much control you have over a company, there are things that you have no control over. One of the biggest things that happened was, you know, American Express called up one day. We had two $400,000 lines of credit we were doing our manufacturing on. And, you know, shortly after the economy tanked, in 2008, American Express called up and said, okay, we're closing your lines of credit. And that was it. I mean, we just had no money to work with. And, uh, you know, and you're like, what do we do? I mean, but the problem at that point was the way the, the company was structured corporately, the, the debt the company was in was on my head. Mm-hmm. And that took such a tremendous mental toll on me to be in debt and not be able to get, I mean, I got out of the vast majority of it. And that's, I mean, I literally kept the company alive from 2008 to 2014 on blood, sweat and tears and no money. Um, It was purely just my refusal to give up that kept it going, um, which is miraculous because nobody knew, nobody knew we were in financial trouble. We had people approaching us for venture capital, whatever, thinking we were doing, you know, $50 million and we didn't have a pot to piss in at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's very easy to make something look good and it's really just a mess. And of course I had to let the whole staff go. So it was just me. And, you know, I was running the whole show at that point. And it was just, I had two people working for me, um, you know, an accountant and, and somebody else doing some customer service. But I mean, it was, just was really difficult. And, you know, my husband saw me really struggling with it and not wanting to let go. And he said, listen, you know, you, you've got to, you got to come face facts here, Allison. It's, it's going down and the ship's going to go down. You cannot go down with it. You know, you, you have a child now and whatever. And so in 2012, I reached out to a friend. Um, CNBC had been buying a lot of my products, and she worked there. And um, but she was also the uh, she was also the head makeup artist at Mobwives. And I said, you know, Jackie, I said, if you ever need an assistant on Mobwives, you know, I'm, I'm looking to get back into doing makeup. And she said, well, they use all your stuff at CNBC. You know, why don't you go there? And that's where I just I just started, and I just I had to pick up my brushes again. And started working, and I didn't. I didn't know if I would like TV news, whatever. I didn't, you know. I listen. I came from editorial. I thought I was also special and whatever. And my work's been in Italian Vogue and blah blah blah. But you know, it's the fact that your work's been in Italian Vogue doesn't pay your bills, <laughs> you know. Or you've been, no. you know, written up in this magazine. You know this. I know this. Yep. Um, you know, and you're like, I'm going to do TV news. Well, lo and behold, I freaking love doing TV news. It was amazing. I mean, the the girls at CNBC, that team was so unbelievably supportive and understanding and just amazing, amazing to me. And they actually even knew who I was and they knew the product. And it just, that blew my mind that anybody knew who the hell I was. And they're like, oh my God, we love your product or whatever. And they were so supportive. And that was really the beginning of, of my road back. And, you know, and then, you know, when I left there, I went over to Fox and that was equally as amazing. And, and then I joined the union and really it was, it was at that point when I realized like, you know what, I can, I can let go of this. And that's what I did, you know, and I, I wrapped it up and I took the, the hit for whatever debt was left and said that it was it. That, that going to Lauder was never in the cards though. That was never the plan. I planned on going back and working at this point now in my life as, a makeup artist, a union makeup artist. Um, I did episodic for a while, uh, 
but the, the hours were too hard. You know, they're very, very hard. It is not a coincidence that a lot of people in TV and film makeup are not married or don't have kids. Um, the hours are just brutal. And so, you know, I started getting private clients. I started doing commercial work. And then, you know, I saw an ad for, uh, you know, an internal artist at Lauder. And I thought, oh, yeah, that might be interesting. Well, my husband's old boss is the VP of packaging there. So I reached out to him and I said, what do you think? I said, will you put my, my resume in? He said, sure. I said, okay. And nothing came of it. And it turned out they never even went ahead with the position. But then he called me a few months later. And he said, Allison, listen, I don't, I don't know if you'd ever entertain doing product development, but they need someone. And I think you're exactly what they want because they're looking for somebody who's sort of from outside the system a little bit. And I said, oh, what the hell? And I, I, you know, I thought about it for a while. And I said to my husband, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, I'm not a corporate person. Estee Lauder is the corporate of corporates. I don't think, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to fit in here or whatever. And he said, well, listen, he said, just go in and level with them and tell them you're not sure and tell them, you know, you're not a corporate person and, and, and tell them that you can't just sit at a desk and do paperwork all day. You need to be creative. And that's what I did. And, and during the interview, when uh, it was uh, somebody who's not there anymore, but she was a, a senior vice president, she looked at me and she said, well, are you ready to leave artistry? You know, you clearly love artistry and you live for it. Are you ready to leave artistry and take a corporate job? And I looked at her <laughs> straight in the eye and I said, I don't think so. And the other woman who is now the senior vice president in my by big boss, just sort of rolled her eyes, like, what the hell are we doing here in this meeting with this girl, like, who doesn't even know what she wants to come here? <laughs> Fortunately, the other woman, Annie, uh, she, she, she wasn't too flabbergasted by that. And she just looked at me, she said, well, would you consider consulting? <laughs> I thought, uh. yeah, you know, I mean, I'm okay with that, you know, because, you know, having been the boss of people and having had to hire people, there's nothing worse when you're running a company and you go out and you search for a candidate and you find someone and you hire them and you're depending on them to do the job and all of a sudden they turn around and say, you know what, this isn't for me. And in, in my, my good conscience, I couldn't commit to Estee Lauder saying that because I've never worked a corporate job. I'm 48 years old, never worked a corporate job before in my life. So I couldn't say to them, hey, guys, yeah, I'm, I'm ready, I'm gung-ho, I'm, I'm going to do this, and then turn around, get there, you know, after, you know, a month and say, holy shit, I can't do this, I'm, I'm suffocating here, which, which is not the case at all, thank God. Um, you know, I really, I really had no clue. I had no experience in that space. And so I said, yeah, let me, let me try it. And I just sort of figured, okay, you know, if, if it winds up, I don't love it, I'll leave and I'll go back to artistry. And if I do love it, then I'll tell them. And, you know, so now they know I love it. You know, we'll see if I wind up how long I'd be there. But, you know, either way, it's all good. You know, I, I really, um, it, it's been an incredibly pleasant surprise. Well, these days with working with Estee Lauder in the, the color development, and you said specifically for eyes, you know, what, yep. what does that mean and what do you do day to day? Okay, so day to day, I, I, report into work at 9 a.m. at the GM building. You know, I, I have joined the corporate masses on the train in the morning, which I thought I would never do. <laughs> you know, you get on train, go through Penn Station, you know, you're on the subway, you're one of those crazy people, um, which is the worst part of the job. But I have an office, I have my own office. Um, 
And basically, um, so I my job is to really I work on the development of uh, you know anything in the eye category. So it's eyeshadows, eyeliners, mascaras. So sometimes it's coming up with new color stories, and there might be like recently promotions came to me and said we need these three palettes for promotions, and here are the stories, and can you you know, here, here's the basket of items you can choose from that are already existing in development. We have, you know, really, it's like every color in the rainbow, basically, it's just a water. So it's like, okay, you know, choose from this, and it's like 5,000 colors. You're like, okay, fine. Um, you know, and so, but put together some color stories. You know, I'll look at the, the trend books out of Milan, and I'll pick out some stories, and I'll put it together. And I, I, and I have to also make sure that it makes sense for just about everybody under the under the rainbow because uh, Estee Lauder has such a big and wide audience. Um, so it has to work for all skin tones and that sort of thing. And then sometimes it's, you know, I get in pressing submissions, uh, which I don't know if you've ever done eyeshadows, Mary, but like eyeshadows have to be pressed at a certain pressure um, mm-hmm. in order that they, they pick up correctly. If you press them too hard, sometimes they break or you don't get any you don't get any product on your brush. Sometimes if you press them too loose, you get too much flyaway stuff. So they have to be pressed at the correct pressure. And so generally a lab will send us three different pressures and I have to determine what's the best pressure to press it at. Sometimes it's match color matching. You know, you get in submissions, you look at the standard, you put it under a color correct light or you go in the sunlight and you say, does this match, yes or no? go more red, go more blue, go more black, you know, lighten this, make this more saturated, uh, that sort of thing, all kinds of evaluation. You know, it's, it's every day basically starts with me coming in with a bare face and taking out my makeup, whatever I'm working on, and trying it on. Mm-hmm. And that's every day I do that. Every single day I do that. I am always trying something. I am always looking at I'm always thinking about how can I make this better? How can I make this work for the maximum number of people, the greatest number of skin tones? Um, you know, does this make sense with this? Does that make sense with that? It's, you're constantly, you're either thinking of how to head off problems creatively, or you're actually troubleshooting an actual problem that comes up, which happens all the time. You know, product development is really just um, a lot of creative problem solving all day long. Well, and it's a different headspace than being on a photo shoot or in front of the camera because you're dealing with the consumers on a day-to-day basis, and Mm -hmm. you're dealing with also building and creating trends and so on. And what's interesting right now is that everyone's about the whole, like, athleisure, athletic, you know, day-to-day, sweat-proof, you know, everything's about kind of like, I want my makeup to stay on as long as possible, which actually Korea started that because they have such high humidity. So they were, there were ahead for that. So with you doing this testing, you're testing for not just a look, but you're also testing on how it works. But what other types of things are you looking for? Well, okay. So it's, Okay, so when we talk about testing, I'm really testing for just seeing how it works. One of the nicest things I have to say about, and one of the things that I've really come to have a new respect for for, for a larger company, 
is the actual amount of clinical testing that gets done there. Like, it's not like if we say at Estee Lauder, this is great for 12 hours. It's not because I work for 12 hours. It's because there was an actual clinical test set up at our clinical testing laboratories, and it was done, you know, whatever, double blind or whatever. If there is an actual scientific test that proves that, and we don't say it unless we can back it up, and then it's vetted through legal. So, like, when you, one of the nice things is that for a lar- with a larger company, in, in this day and age where people, and we were talking about this earlier, about how everyone claims to be an expert, and people, people you know, have all these alternative facts, and people say stuff all the time that isn't true now in the cosmetic space. One of the nice things about Lauder is, believe me, and I can tell you this working there now, if we say it, it's damn true. <laughs> it's true 20 times over because we can't afford to not be truthful. We're too big of a company. We have too much to lose. Um, so that's really cool. But what am I testing for? I'm really – one of the hardest things in the beginning, it's not hard now because I've, I've made the full immersion. But, you know, when, you ha- when I had my own company, it was about me, 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 and my point of view and what I felt as an artist and all of that. When I went to Lauder, another piece of, of, of really good professional criticism – that my boss Jamie gave me was, you know, I was, I was going back in emails and saying, I think, I feel, I think, I feel. And she said, Allison, she said, you have to remember, we're a team. We're the global makeup, color creative product team, whatever the hell our name is. But we're a team. This is a team effort. And you're not just speaking on your behalf. You're speaking on behalf of the team. Mm. And I said, you know what? I said, Jamie, that's, a, you know, she said, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I said, no. I said, you know what? I'm not. I said, I think that's a really good professional criticism. And I I, I appreciate you telling me this Mm -hmm. because it really helped me get into the headspace of I need to, I am representing Estee Lauder, whatever I do creatively. So when I walk into those offices, it's sort of like I open all my senses to everything around me, what everyone's wearing, what everyone's talking about, what the carpet looks like. The art on the walls, there's tremendous art on the walls um, because the Lauders, you know, are big art collectors. So there's oh, yeah. like, you know, ama- I mean, you should see the amazing stuff like in our internal staircase. Like I walk up and down. I never get to meetings on time because I'm too busy looking at the damn art. Everyone's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> staring there at a picture of Gertrude Stein and her poodle. Like, oh, my God, look at this. This is so cool. And there's that poodle again. But uh, it's, it's ridiculous. But, um, you know, like I – had to really get into the headspace of Estee Lauder. And, and something my big boss, Lonnie, said to me um, was one of the, the trickiest parts of a heritage brand, we are a heritage brand, is that we mean different things to so many different people. You know, our consumer in the United States is totally different than our consumer in China, than our consumer in Europe. We're sold differently in Europe. In Europe, we're sold in perfumeries. In the United States, we are sold mostly at department stores, but we're also sold in Sephora. Like, there's so much going on. I mean, I, I can't tell you. I've looked at all of our different websites and different languages and all the different imagery. I mean, it's just different in every place. But yet, there has to be a single unifying message that comes out of global cosmetics. And that has to be the essence of Estee Lauder. And so that's what I have to channel when I walk in every day. 
is that what is it that makes a product an Estee Lauder product? You know, what is that point of view? And how do I interpret, my job is to really interpret that point of view to be current and to put my expertise into that point of view, but it's their point of view at the end of the day, not mine. Like that's, that's the hard thing. It's really using my expertise and, and translating their point of view into that product. That makes sense? Yes, and it's actually amazing that they see the value in you because you do have that business head, you do have the artistic side, you do have all these different things combined together that would make you a better qualifier to do what you're doing than probably most people out there. So it's, they're, they're lucky to have you as far as I can say. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, hopefully, um, I think I'm doing a good job. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's a very different thing. But like I said, it's very creatively liberating. Like you said, you know, how do you get balance? Um, for me, being allowed to do and being valued, I think, uh, for doing what I do, you know, I think as artists, we so often you know, people look at, they're like, oh, that's easy. You're picking on an eyeshadow. It's like, no, it's not that easy. <laughs> you know, it's not, I'm not sitting around playing with the pretty colors. I mean, I am, but I mean, I, I, I'll sit there sometimes for hours. I, I put all my, you know, the different swatches of what I'm working on and my mood boards are all up on my bulletin board in front of me. And sometimes I'll just stare at them for hours and they understand the value in that. And they understand that I'm working when I'm doing that. And I, I, I mentioned that to Jamie one day. And she's like, I said, oh, Jamie, I'm just looking at this. She's like, I know. Don't you get lost in the colors for hours sometimes? And, but it's like, it's so great to be in the company of people who understand that it's not bullshit and, and understand that your brain is actually functioning and working really, really hard because to somebody who doesn't know they just think you're staring at the wall and it's like no I've got to figure all this out and there's a lot of work that goes into it and so to be valued for that and and for valued for that intelligence and that knowledge um it's just so great it's so nice you know because business people don't always understand that but creative people do Sure. Now, Estee Lauder owns tons of different brands. When you say you're oh doing God. this for Estee Lauder, do you mean that you're doing it specifically for that line or yes. other lines within the line? Okay. Estee Lauder Signature. Okay. So Got it. The, 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 the classic blue line where it all began, that's where I am. There are, okay. you know, there's Clinique, there's Bobby Brown, there's Mac, there's Darfon, there's, you know, there's Bumble and Bumble, there's, I mean, there's a bajillion brands there. But I am working for the signature line. That's what I work on. So, um, you know, and, and we're all separate. You know, we're, we're in different offices and whatever. Um, there are departments that cross between the brands, but not what I'm working on. It is for Estee Lauder. It's very similar to the automotive industry, actually, because I remember when my youngest brother wanted to told my dad he wanted to design a, a car. He's like, this is what I want to do when I grow up. And my dad took him to work one day because my dad worked for Ford. And he's like, son, when you go to work on a car, you're working on just the handle on that door. Someone else is doing, you know, another part of the engine. You're not designing the entire car. There's, there's yeah. all these different people that put together and make this, whole machine happen and that's yeah. the same with the beauty industry and in this kind of yeah. uh, of level um so yeah. that's that's fascinating because i i knew that it was it was 
kind of focused, but not that focused. It's very focused, but it's but the 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 thing that's really fun for me it it can be fun and it can be frustrating is you need to constantly be in communication with the other departments so we'll sit and we'll have these big meetings and you know everybody needs to know what everybody else is doing but yet you're responsible for your part and it's hard i mean it's hard that kind of coordination is very difficult and for somebody who's used to knowing what's going on here what's going on there what's going on over there because I was the one person doing it. Um, you know, y- you can't take that for granted. Um, if you don't communicate your information to the right person, well, something's going to get missed. So that's, that for me was something I really had to learn working in a team. Um, my saving grace is that I'm, I'm psychotically organized and a bit OCD about that. Um, so, you know, like I am very aware that I may not be an I forever, and I probably won't. I probably will be moved around so that, you know, everything I do in I has to be able to be picked up by somebody else. So I have to leave really good notes and really good files Mm. um, so that somebody can pick up my work seamlessly. Because it's not, at the end of the day, it's not Allison Raphael designing this. It is the Estee Lauder Global Color Cosmetics team designing this, whether I'm the person behind it or somebody else is the person behind it. You know, I'm only responsible for it as long as I'm there. Well, now that you've been at Estee for how long? Oh my God, only since October. So it's what, four months? Okay. So in that time though, you've had time to acquaint yourself with a lot of their products and I'm sure you have some favorites. Can you tell us what they are? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, like I'm saying earlier, you know, they, they talk all in acronyms. And, it, it, I, you know, you get there. And I mean, I just basically dove in head first. And I'm like, what? They keep saying A&R, 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 A&R. And I'm like, what? What is this A&R stuff that everybody's talking about? What the hell is it? They're like, Allison, advanced night repair. I said, the stuff in the brown bottle? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, what about it? They're like, Allison, it's like liquid gold. You gotta, You got to try this. And I'm like... Are you kidding me? Really? That's like been around forever. They're like, will you please just try it? <laughs> and I took it and I tried it. Mary, it works. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I don't need to tell you about serums. You make serums. You make something called liquid gold, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you know what this is. I mean, a really good serum is worth its weight in gold. And this stuff is amazing. You know, it just, it just evens out your skin and gives you that glow in your skin that you don't get just washing and moisturizing. You know, so that's that's one of my favorites. And then, <clears throat> I mean, everything we make is really, really high quality. Um, you know, they're really known also for, they're known for their foundations. Um, and Double Wear is their big franchise. Uh, but the, the classic Double Wear makeup is really for oily skins. Um, it's way too drying for me at this point in my life. But the Double Wear light is just incredible. It's the one in the tube. Oh, okay. I haven't tried that. It comes at a... It comes in a bajillion colors again. Um, so it's it's not only can is it a great formula and it really does last well and stay color true and, and keep you nice and matte and whatever. Um, it self sets, which is phenomenal. You don't need a powder with it. Oh. And also, yeah, and you can also get it, um, you can match your skin tone. Like you can get a dead on match. Uh, it's you know, once you find your match, you know what it is. It's incredible. It's just 
boom, it's there. And you're like, wow, and it really looks, it just looks like skin, but better. Did Estee Lauder, didn't they have some kind of like color match system where they used uh, some, some kind of technology for that? Is that still available? They're, they're actually working on a version of that. Um, I'm sure they've done it in the past. That's always something they're going to work on. You know, yeah. I mean, I think they are, they've got stuff in the works for that. That's really advanced because that's their thing, you know, getting really great um, color match. I want to say they're up to like 56 shades of foundation. You, you know? mean Punty wasn't look- the first? <laughs> what? No. You no. mean? <laughs> Whoever. I mean, it's, it's getting a little ridiculous where I think we're all keeping up with the Joneses now. Um you know, for all these shades of foundation, and it, it, it does get a bit much. Uh, you know, I can't imagine for stock keeping purposes. I mean, that's just so much product. Yeah. But that's what the consumer wants. I, professionally, you know, I can mix and match my own colors, but I understand from the consumer's perspective, nobody wants to buy two bottles of foundation. You no. know, uh, you know, we carry our stuff in our kits and we mix it up. But, you know, I think for the consumer, they want that. Um, and if they want it, we're going to make it. That's that's business. <laughs> that's capitalism, you know. Sure. So. Um, so I have a few callers online. Is anyone wanting to do any kind of questions? Uh, no. <laughs> I guess everyone, I, I guess people just want to listen. No, I guess they just want to listen. All right, so we got a bunch of listeners. Well, at least we 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 have people that like to listen. But so, of course, I've learned to have some questions prepared. Then, um, and so what? Before I get into that, since we still no, no one still want to do it. Okay, so what I'm going to do is then have questions that uh, callers had already not callers but listeners have sent in okay. to me. So. We have Gabrielle in New York who heard you were going to be on the show, and she asked me to ask you how to conceal her rosacea while it's still healing, but she doesn't want to look like makeup is on, um, but okay. also, wants, yeah. and she doesn't want to break out from it and wants it to last all day. So is there, is it about she, she, foundation? She's not, she's not looking for too much. She just, she just wants it to look natural, last forever, and, and not hurt her. That's, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a very reasonable ask. Yeah. Um, okay. So first things first, with rosacea, obviously rosacea is, you know, it's redness in the skin. It's not your undertone. It's more, you know, from the capillaries. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you're not worrying about your undertone. You need to tone down that redness. The way you're going to do that is with a little bit of extra yellow in your foundation. So <clears throat> let's say, just for example, um, you know, you use a foundation, you match it to your undertone. You want another foundation that is maybe one step more yellow or a little bit darker if it's, if it's a yellow-based foundation to go over that, those areas with rosacea. Now, it's not going to totally take it away. What it's going to do is a little bit of yellow is going to mix with that redness in your skin, and it's going to look more like tan. And it's really very much of a, it's something, well, you know this, I don't have to explain this to you, but I'll explain it to our our listeners. Um, You're really trying to make the eye skim over any problems in in the thing. People think when you're camouflaging, you are completely covering, like you're cloaking something. That's not always the case. 
it's more like, okay, if your skin is beige and you have redness, okay, that's going to jump at the eye. But if your skin is beige and then you have a spot that's a little darker beige, that's, your eye's going to skim over it. Does that make sense? Am I explaining yeah. that right, Mary? Yep. Okay. So that's what you want to do. You want to tone down the redness. You aren't looking to totally cover the redness, like with Dermablend or something. That's going to be too much and too heavy. But if you use something a little darker, a little more yellow, to tone down the redness in those areas, it's going to go a very long way. And that's something like, you know, double wear or double wear light is phenomenal at doing because it's matte. Um, you don't want to use something that's too luminous because it's just, Again, you're highlighting something. You don't want to highlight problems. You want to tone them down, and matte is good for that. Um, and it lasts. It's going to stay on all day. You know? and, and it comes in colors that are cool, neutral, and yellow-based. So like, I think I'm like a 3N1, let's say. Like, you know. And then I might go to 3W1, which is a warmer tone of that, to tone down my redness in certain places. Mm, Does that make sense? Okay. Yep. Um, but she also said, is there a certain technique in applying it to also make it not look like she's got all this foundation on? Okay. So here's what I'm going to say to that. This is where you want the product to be doing the work for you. Um, if you have to layer and powder and set and layer and powder and set, it's not the right product. Mm. What you are looking for is something you can put on that's going to set in place and not move too much. Because a lot of times, a lot of concealers or a lot of foundations are too slippery to really cover. You want something that when you put it on, you're going to be able to blend it in, but then it's going to stay in place. It's going to lock in place. And this is, this is particularly what I like double wear for, double wear and double wear light. That's what it does. That's what makes those formulas so good. That's why I fell in love with them, because that's what my original – my original foundation did reality base. You put it on and it stayed in place. It didn't keep slipping and sliding. If you put a foundation on your face and it keeps slipping and sliding and moving, it's never going to concentrate the color where you want it. Does that make sense too? You can use a foundation, you can use a foundation sponge or your fingers um, to put it on. And sometimes it helps to stipple it with a sponge, which is when you, you put the foundation on a sponge and you tap it in instead of going in long strokes, you're tapping it in to, to concentrate in those areas. But the main thing she wants to look for is something that's not too slippery um, in its texture. That's a good, a good plan. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because I had mentioned that you had some skin troubles, especially when you were going through a lot of the stress at the end. And I think I saw oh, you oh, before God. everything had ended. Yeah. And so yeah. It, she, yeah. she, she, she was like, she was curious how you ended up clearing it up because I don't think we discussed how you ended up clearing that up other than, you know, also getting rid of the line. You, you know what? I'll tell you something. There is a lot to be said for getting rid of unnecessary stress in your life. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's literally toxic. It was toxic to me. You actually had told me to take a probiotic and it did work. Ah. Um, I took a really good, yeah. You said, Allison, <laughs> you need some probiotics. Because, yeah, I was like really breaking out on my cheeks a lot. Yeah. And um, yeah, that that helped, but also just eliminating the excess stress. It was it was literally toxic to me, you know, um, 
that's the best thing you can really do. I mean, I used to drive the editors crazy back when there were editors because they'd say, oh, what's your beauty secret for this or your beauty secret for that? Beauty secret is the same as it's always been. Eat right, get some exercise, get at least eight hours of sleep, <laughs> drink enough water, all the basic things that nobody wants to do. Everyone wants a miracle, and there are no miracles. It's true. You know. But as as our environment increases with pollution and inflammation is increasing because, you know, even when they say grass-fed beef is grass-fed, it's technically not. It's also kind of a greenwashing term. So it's, it's yeah. really hard to do that. So these extra little tips are just ways that we can help consumers to just add you know, a kind of hack to what they're doing. Yes. Yeah. Well, I so. think that's, yeah, I think that's, that's true. I think, I think trying to, you know what, I think also we're all so busy. I think we need to focus on, you know, what's important to us. And when something doesn't feel right to just, you know, pay attention to that. You know, I think that that's just really crucial. Well, and what's interesting, too, is that I know you also had a lot of support from your husband. So he wasn't someone who was like, oh, I just wish you wouldn't do this or, or whatnot. He was in the trenches with you, right. <laughs> helping you with right. the line. You had a lot of support everywhere. And even with that, it was just overwhelming for anyone to go through what you went through. Well, I think it's, you know, I had a lot of support. But at the same time, like I said, it was my whole life. and you can't, you can't, your work is not your worth. And you have to have a healthy boundary between your home life and your work life and your personal life and your career. And I had none of that. And I think that that is, that's something, you know, if you find yourself totally overwhelmed, you know, that's when you need to establish those boundaries. You know, like I can't, I mean, I, listen, I will never escape the fact being a makeup artist is so central to my identity. If I took that away, I think I'd lose my mind. But beyond that, you know, you have to start saying, okay, you know what, I have a life beyond this. And, you know, it's important. Well, and you listened, and so your family, I'm sure, thanks you for that, <laughs> especially your daughter. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> very much so. So we have Faith, who's also in New York, and she said she has dark circles that seem to be getting worse with age. She also, which is probably going to be the same thing as our first uh, person, but she said, how do you suggest she conceal her dark circles without making herself look even older? Okay, so dark circles are my specialty. I can talk a lot about this. Um, okay, when she says they're getting worse with age, um, it's not so much that the dark circles are getting worse, but generally the skin is, is becoming either more slack or more sunken in uh, to the eye sockets because, you know, your skin starts to thin out and we don't have as much collagen in it. And so, you know, the less plump your skin is, the more the capillaries are going to show through, basically, and that's what you're seeing. So obviously keeping the area well hydrated, um, you know, an eye cream, you don't want something that you put it on and in the morning you're all puffy because, you know, you have no pores in your eye area, otherwise you wouldn't be able to see because wherever you have a pore, you have an oil gland and you can't have oil glands around your eyes. So you don't want an eye cream that's so rich that it makes you puffy in the morning, but you do need to be using that on a regular basis. Um, but also, okay, in terms of cosmetics, uh, people make the mistake 
that they think, okay, my dark circles are dark, therefore I need a concealer that's light. That's not true. <laughs> you need a concealer that matches the color of your skin, your your general skin. And also, you can, I mean, you can do some correction if you want. Um, like I will use, there's a Ben Nye product that is like a very light peach corrector. And I'll use that not necessarily under my eyes where like, you know, the actual circles are, but I'll use it the outside, like where the top of my cheekbone is, where that meets my eye socket, I'll use it out there because that tends to sink in a lot. And by going a little bit cooler out there um, and lighter, that's going to brighten that up. Think of it, people think of it all the time now as highlighter, but without the shimmery stuff in it. Mm-hmm. That's always a good area to lighten and brighten. But where the actual circles are, you want to stay with something, again, that doesn't move too much. You're looking for a concealer that doesn't move too much. Um, And you want something that is definitely more yellow-based. If you start getting too pink-based under the eyes, that's when it really – the pink is going to mix with the blue, and you're just going to get purple, purple, purple under your eyes. You don't want that. Um, You want to counteract that a little bit. and, and you want to really keep it in that area. Again, so much of it is in going to be on the formula. Um, stuff that self-sets, I mean, that was True Concealer. True Concealer was one of the first self-setting concealers. Um, you applied it. It was a cream. It came with a doe foot. You applied it, and then it dried down to like a powder-like finish. That was the genius of, of True Concealer. Um, and it was buildable because it dried down. That's the sort of thing you're looking for. A concealer that's too creamy, again, it's going to keep sliding. It's going to keep moving. You're going to have to keep setting it with tons and tons of powder. And the more layers you need of a product to get the coverage, um, that's when it's going to break apart and crack and look fake. <laughs> so you want something that's going to give you decent coverage in, a, in, in as few thin layers as possible. Well, now um, that we don't have your product, what is that product? What is that product? You know what? Okay, so there's a couple of products out there that I do like. Um, there's Amazing Concealer, which is a phenomenal product. You do have to set that product with a – they make a, a clear loose pow- – they make a clear pressed powder. Um, you want to set with that. Um, there's a bunch of them. I want to say there's – some of the Tarte concealers are really good. Uh I've always liked RCMA, you know, that works really well. That works well for everything. Let's face it. That's, that's always long been a favorite of mine. And then again, now that I'm at Lauder, I know all the Lauder concealers. I like the double wear concealer for that too, because it has that, you can get the shade match dead on and it self sets. The Lauder concealer can be, you have to learn how to use it because, because it self sets so well, you got to work quickly with it, but it does do it. All right. Well, I also, Kevin had said he did a bendy eye concealer that I haven't tried yet, so I want to try his too. Why? He was talking about that. I got to try that because that's, he was saying it's flexible. And I understand what he's talking about that in the formula because it adheres to itself. So it stays in place. It's not spreading outward. Um, I think that's what he meant by it. I got it. What is that? First Aid Beauty he did that for? First Aid Beauty. Yep. Yeah. I got to I got to check that. Well, didn't Kevin also do the concealers over at Makeup Forever? I want to say he did years ago. 
I thought he did a Visart or one of those concealers. I have to I figure it, it out. But it was, I think it was Makeup Forever he did. He worked for Makeup Forever for a while. Oh, yeah. You know, those that's, that's great stuff, too. My God. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. you know. There's Fabulous. a lot of stuff out there, but those are good key things to look for in concealers. So um, I'm sure she'll be very happy to hear about that. So, yes. and I have one final question for you. There's Naomi in Kentucky who said she's always wanted to experiment with colors, um, but not sure where to start. She said most of the YouTube oh. videos that are out there are with younger girls and she's in her fifties yes. and doesn't want to look ridiculous. What do you suggest she does? Oh my, you're going to have to, Stay tuned for what I'm working on at Estee Lauder. Um, <laughs> definitely, because that's, that's, you know, really my whole thing is, you know, showing people how to use color without it looking ridiculous. This is something that's a little difficult because, like you said, the market has become so heavily saturated, geared towards millennials, that these colors are, that are coming out are so bright and so crazy that, you know, you have to be 25 to wear them because if you have a wrinkle or a line on your face, it's just going to look terrible. Mm -hmm. um, so you're not nuts in thinking, like, I can't wear that because a lot of the stuff you can't. A good thing to do is when you think about color, people always think it's colors or neutrals. The truth of the matter is when makeup artists do color, they usually use a background of neutrals and add some color into it. Okay, so like I might do an eye that maybe has a navy lid, but then maybe I'm doing the crease in brown or gray. Okay, and, you know, or maybe I'm doing, um, you know, a taupe eye and I'm lining it with a blue liner and I'm smudging that in. You know, or again, maybe I'm doing a taupe eye and I'm adding a pop of lavender into the lid or above the crease, wherever I'm going to do it. Um, that's how I do it as an artist. I like to add in color. I don't think of it as all color. I'm not going to do a purple eye where every shadow on the eye is purple because, you know, again, I'm, you know, in my late 40s, I'm going to look silly. So I always make sure that I use a really strong background of neutrals and add a pop of color. And that's the best advice I give. And liners are great for that. I have to say, eyeliners are amazing for adding in color to a look um, and changing the color of a look without it being overwhelming. Uh, you know, like, and the other thing is with color um, and eyeshadows particularly, you want to watch the frost level. Uh, the frostier the color and, and frost is a big thing now everyone's got glitter and sparkle and bling honey that leave it for the young girls like that that's gonna make you look like you know i don't know who is that my little pony like you know, it's like ridiculous <laughs> like i'm too old for that i'm way too old for that like it's hard to find colors this is what bobby brown used to be great for although the lines changed quite a bit um you know you want to look for those colors that are not as sparkly, you know, and, and, but you want a pop of color. Does that make sense? Yeah. But it's also the fact that the sparkle em emphasizes lines around the eyes. So it's not even just because it's age appropriate. It's the fact that it will enhance your age. It, yeah. It makes you look older a little yeah. bit 
good. A little bit of shimmer, a little bit of opalescence can really pop the eye out. It's that, yes, you cross that threshold where suddenly you look like, you know, you belong in Las Vegas, and that's bad. You know, then you look, <laughs> you know, you look like an aging, like, you know, performer. You know, that's, that's just not attractive, um, and you don't want that. So, but it's hard. Um, I think part of the problem also is there's such a plethora of products out there, and with, with the Internet being so important and such a huge medium of sales right now, you see all this glitter and all this bright, shocking color and all this sparkle because it's what catches the eye in a photograph. And realize at the moment, our lives are, we're shopping via photograph now, not necessarily in person. So the colors that might be more appropriate to you might look a little more boring in a photograph. Does that make sense? Mm, yep. So yep. that's something you really got to remember. And that's, that's driving a lot of product development. The Internet's driving a lot of product development. And, you know, we can't let that happen so much. Um, you really have to – you got to balance that out. And so, you know, places like Sephora tend to be heavy towards millennials. You know, it's, it, this is when it really does make sense to go to a cosmetic counter and try things on and talk to somebody and really look. And, you know – we're also accustomed to these Crayola crayon colors that are that are in fashion now. We sort of forget sometimes the more muted colors can be what looks better on us as human beings, not, you know, all these bright jingle jangly colors. I mean, I don't know. It's just it's crazy. Well, the pendulum always swings. So we're going to have thin brows soon, I'm sure. And then we'll have the neutral, neutral phase that Bobby was – really known for at one time. So I think the pendulum is going to come back soon because it always does. <laughs> somebody said, somebody was saying the other day that, you know, get, oh, Sandy Linter was saying, get your tweezers out, girls. The thin browns are, brows are going to come back. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, it's so much work to do thin brows. God, I don't want them back, but I'm sure they will. You know. Well, and it's not as useful, but we'll see. But we'll see. for now, I'm going to ask you, Alison Raphael, what is your beauty hack? My beauty hack. Okay, I told you. I fell in love with advanced night repair. Well, what I never admitted to my friends at Estee Lauder is my favorite cream for my face is good old cheap CeraVe that you get in the pharmacy in the Mm. gigantic tub. Okay, it's like $12 a tub, and you can put it all over your body, but it's a fantastic moisturizer, not the greenest moisturizer, but it is a fantastic formula. And as an artist, I always love it because almost nobody has a reaction to it. Um, you know, one of the biggest things is, you know, you got to watch out for fragrance and all that stuff when you're working on the public because, you know, people can react to that and you don't want that happening five minutes before somebody goes on air. But I discovered, you know, I never really needed that much for my skincare. I have generally good skin, but I wanted something else. And I thought about it, and I'm like, well, should I get this expensive cream? I'm like, well, I have this expensive serum, and it's got just about everything under the sun that my skin could ever need in it. So what I do is I take my CeraVe cream that I can liberally slap all over my body and my face, and I put three drops of my Advanced Night Repair in it morning and night, and my skin's never looked better. That is such a great hack. <laughs> because, yeah, think about it. Do you need an expensive cream and an expensive serum? I don't think so. 
don't let my friends at Estee Lauder Skincare hear me say that. But, <laughs> you know, they're going to come, what did you just say? There's somebody's listening. Um, you know, but, you know, it's the truth. I mean, I mean, listen, if your skin doesn't look good after doing that, then go use the expensive cream as well. But for me, at this point where I am now, you know, it works for me. Well, and the other thing to say is that Estee Lauder, I was actually at the symposium. Um, I'm part of the Society of Cosmetic Chemists and so on, but the uh, the symposium was around Lauder talking about the circadian rhythm, and that means you have a 24-hour clock. And so mm -hmm. they had done studies on this 24-hour clock and figured out how the cell repairs, when it repairs, and they were going to yeah. find some way to encourage that cellular repair, which is now the science behind that Estee Lauder night repair. So it has always yep. been an amazing formula. I do wish they'd take the hyaluronic acid out of it, but I'm not going to go into that. But as far uh, as... Know, I yeah, I, I, I have to talk to you about, offline about that. I'm curious about your thoughts on that, but okay. Yep, yep. But as far as the original formula of the night repair was bar none, amazing. I saw big changes in people's skin. It's been around for a while now, and I don't see it going anywhere. So, But your hack is amazing. Thank you. It works. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's what we do. It works. That and depotting. I depot everything. You know, all of my makeup and stuff is, you know, in Z palettes and, and what are those other things, view sets and Japanese cases because, you know, I'm sorry, life is too short to carry around 50 pounds of makeup. So when you're an artist, the smaller the better. Well, now for the consumer, though, what does depotting mean? For the consumer, okay, so let's say, you know, you have 10 different lipsticks. Um, you would get a small thing like, let's say, a view set case that has, different compartments um, and you would you would basically you decapitate your lipstick and you push <laughs> it in these little compartments so you you can open one case instead of having to open 10 cases you can open one case and then mix and max your lipsticks the way we do you know it's become a big thing now these palettes that are pre-made is now a big business but you have to remember we've been doing that as artists ourselves forever you know, taking, popping the little tablets of eyeshadow out and putting them into magnetic cases. We've been doing that, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 years. As long as I've been an artist, I've done that. Um, and that really helps being able to mix and match exactly what's right for you. I think customization is a big thing. And you can do that yourself. You know, don't be afraid of it. If you break it, it's not the end of the world. You know, you go get another one. Well, first of all, how do you depot a shadow? Because most customers, I don't think, understand that. Okay, so the way I do it, I have a palette knife, a very small, thin palette knife. You can get them at the at um, either an art supply store, or um, you know, you can go online to one of the uh, the professional makeup stores like Camera Ready or um, Alcone or Namie's, Nigel's. All those places would have them. Cosmetic spatulas. And what you do, what I do a lot of times is they're, they're held in there with glue. If they're not something that pops up very easily, you can put it in an oven for, I don't know, you've got to do it very quickly. You've really got to watch. If it's in a plastic container, you've got to watch carefully because all of a sudden that plastic can get very hot and, um, and just melt all of a sudden and you can ruin the shadow. But you put it in there for a minute or two, not a microwave, an actual oven, um, and that loosens the glue just enough that you can take that spatula put it to the side and pop it out. Does that make sense? Yeah, Not the no. easiest thing to do. 
not the I'm, easiest thing to do. Somebody makes somebody makes like a. I've seen it where they they have like a um, oh goodness like a warming tray and they do it on that or sometimes people use you know a hair dryer turn it over and just aim the hair dryer the hot air on the bottom of the compact and that will loosen the glue. Yeah, I've, I've seen cool. that. I did it with a radiator. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, well, the radiator will lift you. The biggest trick is you can't do it for too long because if you overheat the product, um, sometimes it glazes. It changes the oils in the product, and then all of a sudden you get no payoff from it. Yeah. I've done that. When you sweep a brush or your finger or your applicator over the eyeshadow, how much gets picked up? Yep. Um, that can really, like, I, I ruined a whole set of Kevin uh aquan eyeshadows um well also if you you break your makeup they've got this new kit that i've not tried also and i, I wish it was around when i was doing more makeup but it's called fixie and it's a makeup repair creation it. kit i know and it looks so it's much fun so cool. like, you, you you basically repress your shadow which looks like amazing yeah, yeah. i mean i just always took mine and mashed it back together and put alcohol and, you know, pressed it in with my finger. But this is, this is all very scientific now, you know. Oh, yeah, something- definitely. Well, Allison, you have given us so much amazing information and insider information that I totally did not expect. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time and your Saturday off for talking to our listeners um, who were a little shy in, in asking questions today. We're going to have to find some way to encourage everyone. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. My name is Mary Shook, and you've been listening to Beauty GPS in the Raw. Keep in mind, starting a cosmetics line is a personal decision. But in a separate conversation, Alison Raphael mentioned she would rather drink molten lava than ever start another cosmetics line again. To find out more about Allison and the products and information we discussed today, please visit www.beautygps.com. Also, let us know what part of the beauty and wellness industry you'd like for us to help you navigate. And if you like the show, please rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you're listening to now. Thanks for listening. Beauty GPS is copyright 2019. Beauty by Mary Shook, LLC. All rights reserved.